said, I feel like I'm a good preacher, but I feel like the Word's important. And there's times that people can't be here. I talked to a young man just a few minutes ago on the telephone that's been here a few times, and uh, he's not able to get out right now. But he said that uh, you know he wanted me to pray for him in a situation we did, and uh, I told him that that you know we were going to be doing this, and so he was uh, going to get his wife to get it up so they could you know watch it, and that that's a blessing to me. So anyhow, everybody say praise God. All right. If you got a bulletin, and I trust you did, most all of you did, you saw in that that we're still preaching about freedom. Why we are free. Why? There's a reason for it. He did not just save us and deliver us from bondages so that we could mess around and get in bondage again. Paul told the Galatian people in one place, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that has called you into liberty and that there's another bondage that you've got yourself into. So we don't want to get back in bondage. We want to, we want to stay free. There's a reason He has set us free. All right, look with me in John chapter 8, and this is where we went to last time. We'll go back there again this morning for our uh, uh, foundation reading. John chapter 8, verse 32. We'll be reading today through verse 36. Jesus was talking to a group of people that had believed, and He told them, He said, If you continue in My Word, you'll be My disciples. And listen to what He said. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I want to, I want to stop right here just a second. Because it's not just having the truth, and it's not just being aware that there's truth, but it's the truth you know. He said, you will know the truth. If you don't know the truth, the truth is not going to do you any good. So it's the truth you know that will make you free. And that's what I want to give to you, the truth, so that we'll be, stay free. Then they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin. Boy, that's a... That's sort of getting you right between the eyes, isn't it? And and the thought is, is continuing in sin. I mean, my goodness, folks, if I make a mistake, that don't mean I'm a servant of that mistake unless I give in to that mistake and let that mistake become a way of life. And there's a difference between a, a mistake. See, we can miss it somewhere, but that does not become the sin that gets him bred in us unless we continue to do that. If we continue to do it, then we become a servant of that sin. So I don't want to be a servant of sin in any area in my life. He's made me free, and I want to be free totally and completely, don't you? A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free indeed. That's sort of like... When he says free indeed, that's like saying free and putting an exclamation point at the end of it. But you can't hear an exclamation point, but you can hear indeed, right? So he said, you have been, if the Son has made you free, you are free, exclamation point. And probably like I do sometimes on some of these things, I put that exclamation point, put five or six at the end of it, you know. And that's what he's talking about here. Hey folks, we're free. But we have been made free for a purpose. There's a reason for it. And, and we may think, well, 
hey, I'm made free so I won't have to go to hell. Well, you're not going to go to hell if Jesus is Lord of your life. That's true. But between now and the time of leaving this earth, there's, we don't want to be in bondage. And so many people are because they don't understand that we've been made free for something. And I, I was talking with the children the other day at breakfast, and, and I told them that living the Christian life is like this, and freedom is the same way, being free in that Christian life. I said, when I made the decision back in March that I was going to begin to lose, you know, get my eating in, in order so that I could be more healthy and, and, and not have to take a, a medicine, I said, my mind, then I focused my mind on what I could eat, not on what I couldn't eat. I didn't sit around and say, well, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, I can't eat that. I started looking for things I could eat. I started finding out. I started getting in the know. You understand what I'm saying? And I found out then the more I know about what I can eat, the freer I become in being able to eat that way. And so I can tell you this, it's no challenge. It's no challenge at all for, for me to eat like I've been eating and the reason is, is because I made up my mind that I was not going to dwell on what I couldn't eat. Now, I'll tell you this. Since March night, I have ate some things that I couldn't eat. All right? That's like since April 1969, I've done some things I didn't need to do. Okay? But there's always consequences. I, I'll be, I'll, let me tell you all this. This is, you know, just to show you. Yesterday morning we had the men's breakfast. We had all these biscuits and sausage and biscuit and chicken biscuit and steak biscuit and smoked sausage biscuit and bologna biscuit, all of the good healthy things, you know. So here I am standing here trying to figure out which one of these biscuits might be the healthiest. <laughs> That's like trying to figure out which stick of dynamite would be louder, ain't it, Bill? <laughs> So I ended up getting a chicken biscuit, and I got it, ate it, went on. In a little while, I went to the garden, picked peas and okra and squash and cucumbers, got real hot and got sick. And all I could taste was chicken biscuit. Now, you say, what's that got to do with this? It's got a lot to do with it because I'm telling you. I knew that there was things I could eat. Now, we had some cantaloupe there, and that was good, but... And that was a could-eat thing for me. Now, I mean, I, and listen, I'm not telling you not to eat. You eat what you want to. That's what I'm doing between me and God and, and, and the doctor, all right? It's not between me and you. I, I was just using this for an illustration. I'm like Gary. I can roast me better than I can anybody else, you see. That way I don't have nobody get mad at me. I can get mad at me. But, but anyhow, I want to grow in my freedom now. Now, we talked last week, there's two, two reasons that we've been set free. And we talked about the first one last week. We have been made free to serve the living God. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, listen what God said to Moses. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. Egypt represented bondage. When you have brought the people out of bondage, you shall serve God on this mountain. So what he said is this. He said, 
you will serve God. This re- one reason I'm bringing you out is so you will serve God. And I shared with you, you, you remember several different Scriptures out of the book of Exodus where Moses kept saying to Pharaoh, and a few times Pharaoh even rehearsed it, that to serve God, to serve God, to serve God, to serve God. Folks, we have been made free to serve God. Then the second thing that we find that he brought them out for is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. Then they will heed your voice, God's still talking to Moses, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I'd never noticed before that Moses said please to Pharaoh. (laughs) Please never moved him, did it? But anyway, he said that you may sacrifice. Now, and throughout the Bible, when we see the term sacrifice, many times it's connected with worship. See, the sacrifices themselves were set as as an example of worship to Almighty God. So, in essence, God is saying here, I want you to come here to this mountain to serve me, to sacrifice, and to worship me. God has always desired a group of people on this earth to worship Him. He had made Satan in the beginning, when He made Satan. Uh, he was Lucifer. He was the archangel of covering that, and He had all this musical instruments in Him and going on, and He was the leader of worship. But He decided one day He wanted that worship for Himself instead of God, and He put Himself up into that category, and he said, comes upon and said, I will be like the Most High God. That's in Ezekiel chapter 28. But he said, I will be like the Most High God. And, and so in other words, I want this worship to come to me. I don't want to be the worship leader for God anymore. I want to be the worship leader for me. Now, we don't have any of that in the world today. That happened back then, Okay. So we don't have it in the world today. Yeah, we do. And if we don't watch it, we get involved in that. We get. I remember a few years ago we had a CD that had these little parody songs on it. And, and that song we used to sing in the church, I exalt thee. You remember that sweet, beautiful worship song? That parody was, I exalt me. And we do that. But anyhow, Satan lost his position. He got kicked out of heaven. According to the Bible, you put it all together, he took a third part of the angels with him. No longer was he the worship leader for God. But then one day God formed a man. And I can see Satan saying, what is that? I can almost hear God saying, that's my new worship leader. And Satan don't like it, folks. Because you and I are created to worship Almighty God. And when we're not doing that, it pleases Satan and it brings us into a bondage. But he said, I want you to be free to worship. Now we're gonna, we're gonna take today and probably next Sunday and talk about, uh, this thing about a worshiper. Now, one scripture we go to a lot when we talk about worshiping God is in John chapter 4 where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. And this Samaritan woman, 
And he says to her in, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 23. I had that back this way. Lost my bookmark. John 4, verse 23 says, Jesus, well, first of all, he said, you worship, but you don't know what you're worshiping. We worship what we know. And in verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, what we're looking for today, and what God is looking for today, is true worshipers. True worshipers. What's a true worshiper? Well, there's a whole lot of things that you can put on that. And, and we'd say, well, that's somebody that worships God in tongues. No, that's not necessarily somebody that worships God in tongues. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, know, I, I know people that speak in tongues that some of the vilest, not vile, but just mean, gossiping, aggravating kind of people you'll ever know. Not everybody, okay? There's a lot of good people that, that, that they pray, they worship God in other tongues, and, and it's right in line with the Bible when they do it. There's nothing wrong with that. And, but that's not what makes a person a true worshiper, okay? A true worshiper is somebody that has come before God, and with all their heart, they put their heart where their mouth is. And they begin to worship God out of their heart. They don't worship God because Jamie's playing so pretty in a slow worship song on the keyboard, okay? They worship God because it's coming from their heart. That's a true worshiper. A true worshiper worships God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. So you can't separate worship and love for God. There's people who say, oh, yeah, I love God, but they never worship Him. Well, they may sing a song, but just because you sing a song don't mean that you're worshiping. You need to realize that. See, uh, Jesus gave us a picture also of somebody that's not a true worshiper. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, now this is not designed to be offensive to anyone. It's sort of designed to slap us in the face, <laughs> to wake us up. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, hypocrites. Whoa. Right off the bat, I mean, he don't pull no punches, does he? You talk about politically correct talking to a bunch of religious people. You hypocrites. You're wearing the wrong face. You've got a dummy face on. That's what he was telling them. He said, these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far removed from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. In vain they do worship. Why? Because they're, what they're saying with their mouth is not what they're feeling in their heart. What they're believing in their heart. What they're looking to in their heart. Folks, let me tell you something. Any time that you set out to worship God, if your heart's not into it, then you need to get before Him in prayer till your heart gets into it. We can put our heart into it. And in getting our heart into worship has nothing to do with the feeling. That's something that we need to realize. It has nothing to do with the feeling of whether I worship God for my heart or not. I've heard folks say, man, that worship was just dry. Well, you know, and it may have been to you, but where was your heart at in that thing? 
Uh, you know, and, and here's the thing we've got to realize. Worshiping God, and especially worshiping God with my heart, and, and that's the only way you can worship God. You can say some words. You can play some music. You can go through some motions. You can lift your hands. You can get on your knees. You can do all of these things. But if your heart's not in it, you're not worshiping God. I mean, when we sing here on Sunday morning, and I, and I pray that before we get through with this, that it'll help us realize, hey, I've got a reason to worship God. Because so many times we come in like, I don't have a reason to worship God. I mean, you know, my goodness, it rained at my house yesterday. Why should I worship God? I'm getting plenty of rain. Got good money, got fairly good health. You know, family's getting along pretty good. Hey. <laughs> I'm telling you, these reasons to worship the Lord building up, aren't they? It's an act of your will to worship God. In Psalms 95, 7, Psalms 5, 7. Sorry about that, Bo. I didn't mean to scare you there. Psalms 5, 7 says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy in fear of you I will worship towards your holy temple. The David, David said, I'm going to come here and I make up my mind. It's a, it's a, it's a, my will says, I'm going to worship the Lord. You know, I will bless His holy name. I will honor Him. I will magnify Him. I will worship the true and living God. Psalms 95, verse 6. Now, here's, here's a corporate thing of coming together and our minds, our wills being set to worship God. He says, O come, let us worship. David's encouraging these followers, come, come, look, let us worship. Let us bow down before the Lord, our God, our Maker. Let's look to Him. Let's come before Him with praise and thanksgiving and worship Him. And he gives a reason for that then. He says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I will. We will. Come. Let us. Psalms 132, verse 7. Let us go in this tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Psalms 138, verse 2. I will, I will worship. I will worship towards your holy temple. And praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. You see, all these reasons to worship just keeps building up and building up and building up. An act of your will. But you don't know if that's what I'm going through. Uh, that's true, I don't. I don't realize what you're going through. I I, and I, you don't know what I'm going through. And we're not going to take time to go into that poor us testimonies, okay? But I'll be willing to pray for you for what you're going through. I will. Be glad to do that. But do you know when you stop and see what you're going through, that ought to be more of a reason for you to begin to worship God? In Second Chronicles, the, the famous story of Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles 20, it talks about that story. And it talks about how that they had were surrounded by all of these other nations and outnumbered by a great number. Jehoshaphat called the people together and he called a fast. And they began to pray. And then he spoke to God in that time of prayer. 
And at the end of that prayer, God sent them a word of comfort, a word of consolation. And in that prayer, at the end of that time, they, when the word came, they all fell to the ground and worshipped the Lord. In a time of trouble. The battle hadn't been won. As a matter of fact, it hadn't even been fought. But they knew it was going to be fought. They knew the problem was there. They knew it was going to happen. But instead of continuing to worry about it, they got before God. They prayed. Isn't this sort of what Philippians chapter 4 says to do? And everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Isn't that what he said? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, folks. They followed that hundreds of years before Paul wrote that. But it was the same Spirit. And after they had fasted and prayed and carried it to God, God sent them a word. And they fell before God right in the face of battle. And they worshipped the Lord. You know what they did? They went out and won that battle. Hey, listen. God fought for them. The appointed singers that went out and, and praised in the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And that's a whole different uh, message that we'll get into next Sunday about worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. But, but listen, folks, they went out and they won that battle completely because God fought for them. And if we want God to fight our battles and be in our battles with us, then we need to learn it's time that we get up off of our knees of where we've cried and agonized and poured out our soul before the Lord and begin to worship the Lord and see God work and fight in us. Our worship is to be directed towards Jesus. And, you know, I like this. I was thinking about this this week as I was studying this, that Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And, and you think, well, what all does that include? I, it includes everything, folks. Just like it is in heaven is the way God wants us to begin to live here on this earth. And I, I got so blessed up studying these Scriptures right here. And, and I said, God, I want to share all of those. I handed my Scripture list to Bo this morning. And, and I said, you know what that means, don't you? He said, yeah, 15-minute message. Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you. Let me tell you. And then he said, he said, I know you ain't got much to say, so you're just going to read a bunch of scriptures to fill in the time. I said, you've learned well, young man. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I want you to listen to how it is in heaven, how they worship the Lord in heaven, folks. In Revelation 4.8, it says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes and, and within, and they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is going on in heaven. Hey, folks, this is going on in heaven all the time. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us, our God, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made, and have made, have made us, woo, have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation uh, 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the living creatures and elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, and said with a loud voice, that thousands of thousands gets over into the millions and millions category. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, under the earth, and such as be in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever and forever. I was, I was thinking about that song that, that has got so popular uh, here lately, that talking about when He spoke that all the universe was made and the stars. And it says, If they praise Him, so will I. When God spoke, millions of creatures caught His breath. And it says, if they praise Him, so will I. Think about that. All of creation is in the business of praising God. Jesus said to a group of people one day, if these hold their praise, the rocks will cry out. And I don't know, you know, Folks, we don't need anything in this creation worshiping and praising God for us because they're doing it in heaven. And we need to take this attitude, so will I. So will I. Revelation 7 12 saying, Blessing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Revelation eleven sixteen. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on the thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the One who is and was and is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry, and your, your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should uh, reward your servants, the prophets and saints, for those who fear your name, small and great, and you shall destroy those who destroy the earth. You say, that's a praise song? It's exactly what it is. Revelation 15, 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, a servant of God, and the servant of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of kings. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been made manifest. That's what's going on in heaven. And Jesus said, pray as it is in heaven. Let it be on earth. My prayer today is this. As it is in heaven, let it be in victory fellowship. My prayer today is this. As it is in heaven, let it be in David Carroll. Oh, Lord to worship You and honor You on a daily basis. It's not just on a Sunday or Wednesday, but on a daily basis is there strength in that. Because worship brings the presence of the Lord in, in situations and in circumstances and problems that we come in contact with in life. You say, well, Pastor, there's so much going on and this past week has been just a disaster. You remember I shared with you last week the Scripture in Hebrews 9.14 that said that the blood of Christ and His death cleansed us from a, a, a guilty conscience of dead works that we could serve the living God? You remember that? 
I got another scripture for you in Hebrews about that conscience and worship. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these things, same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect or make them clean or mature. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, get a hold of this, the worshipers once purified would have had no more conscience of sin. Let me tell you something, folks. When we come before Him, we can understand that He has cleansed our conscience. He has cleansed our being. And now then I can worship Him in the beauty of holiness. I can honor Him. And Satan come along and say, Remember that? You tell him, Look, look, look. The blood of Jesus has took care of that. I'm not there no more. That's who I was. But it's not who I am. Think about that. Think about I know I shared this with you, but I heard this a few days ago. It said that Satan knows our name and he calls us by our sin. But Jesus knows my sin and he calls me by my name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, I'm going to close now. Take me a few minutes, but I'm going to close. We worship because of what Jesus did about our sins. Think about that. Because of what He did about them. What did He do about them? Well, let's look at some things. Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. And I, I, I heard this. I've heard a lot of explanations, but the best one I heard was years ago that the reason he said east and west is not north and south is because you only go north so far, then you start going south. You only go south so far, then you start going north. But when you start east, you go east forever. You start west, you go west forever. And he's removed our sins that far from us. Not just the sin we commit, but those that we have confessed and put under the blood of Jesus. They're gone. They're gone. He did that for us. They never had that in the Old Testament. All it was, it was gone as far as the wilderness out there when the scapegoat went and was turned loose. The sin was still there. But no, Jesus took it all away. Hallelujah. You ought to give the Lord a hand clap for that. Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, even I am He, who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, blot it out. It's not like somebody spilt some ink on something they take to try to dry it up. This blotting out is like a spot on a white shirt, and you ladies pour Clorox on it, and it gets completely rid of that. Jesus' blood is the Clorox for sin in our life. It don't just cover it up, folks but it completely removes it, blots it out, takes it out completely. Micah 7.19, he says, And He will again have compassion on us, and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I'm talking about the deepest place in the deepest ocean. Sea. That's where it represents where those sins are gone. And then Hebrews 10, 16 says, and 17, 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. You remember I said that worship is an act of our will? Not remembering my sins is an act of God's will. He don't forget. He says, I don't remember. I choose not to remember. Wow. Think about it. Think about every time that we've missed it. I think sometimes in the church we grow so callous to sin and that we, you know, we get in a habit and we go on in it and it don't really matter anymore. We just, you know, I'm on my way to heaven. I want you to know something today. Where I was and where I'm at now, if for no other reason, the reason for me to worship the Lord. Think about that. I remember years ago, uh, Dottie Rambo, and many of you have heard of her, I know, she had a song said, Remind me, dear Lord, show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. But thank you for where I'm at now. Thank you for this. I thought about this Scripture. Look in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16, That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, get a hold of this, what is the width and the length and depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to notice the thought ain't changed right there. Sometimes we think this is a verse that stands alone just by itself. But no. Now unto Him. Who? The one that loved us. Unto Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we may ask or think. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And you never would have before in your fondest thought imagined the depth of the love of Christ. That He could love someone like me, like the way I was, that He could love. And I'm talking about even since then, sometimes the way I've been, that He could love me. I can't comprehend that sometimes. It's, it's exceeding. His love is exceedingly, abundantly above anything that I could ever think about as far as being righteous and, and walking in that righteousness and, and living in His presence and honoring Him and His blessing upon me and, and my communion and my fellowship with Him. And, and folks, it's even above all of that that we could ever imagine. I thought about the prodigal son and the father. That prodigal son was off over there in the hog pen, ready to eat hog slop. That's where he'd come to. Lost everything he had. But then he began to think. He began to think. And then he began to say, My father has hired servants that's better off than this. They, they have 
And then he said, I'm going to rise and go to my Father. And I'm going to say to him, he's saying, I've sinned against heaven in your sight, no more worthy to be called your son. So he got up and he started his journey. And the Father saw him a great way off and came and fell on. And the boy began to say, and the Father stopped him. Because the Father was fixed to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that boy could ask or think. Wow. That's what he did for me. See, when I got saved, I just didn't want to go to hell. But God said, you're not going to hell now. But I got more for you than that. I'm about to do exceedingly abundantly above in your life anything you could ever ask or think. Mm. You may not have anything to worship the Lord for this morning. But I do. Folks, I realized that at age 20, I was just seemingly to me then a step away from being in hell. And you were too, whatever age, a step away. But then one day, you said, no, I can't go on this way. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go to God because I know that's the only place I can get help. And you came and, see, you, you just wanted help and relief right then. And God said, you got that, but I got more for you than that. That boy said, just make me a hired servant. And the father said, no, i got better for you than that. Bring the robe. Put the robe on him. Bring the ring. Put the ring on him. Bring the sandals. Put the sandals on him. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. We're going to make joy. And I'm going to tell you something. When I think about it, the father was glad that that son came back home. But I bet you the most happy person in that party was the one that stunk the worst because he still had hog sin on him. I believe that young man probably danced and jumped and thought about all that his father had done. And then he get a hold of this. Not only did the father give him the robe, the ring, the shoes, the fatted calf, but he restored him completely. Wow. Think about that. God restored you completely when you got saved. Completely, just like Adam was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. You got something to worship God for this morning. I don't know where you are in your life. That's between you and God. But I do know this, that God wants us to be true worshipers today. And whatever is hindering you from being that true worshiper, He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. He's able to touch you, able to help you and lift you up, give you a reason and a purpose in your life. Let's bow our heads.